Welcome to the podcast of Trinity Church PCA in Collierville, Tennessee, right outside of Memphis. For more information about our church, you can visit our website, missioncollierville.org. So our text this morning is from Mark chapter 1, verses 14 through 20. The bulletin says 16 through 20, but we're going to take us two steps back and incorporate two verses from our passage last week. That's Mark chapter 1, 14 through 20. Children that are three years through first grade are dismissed with Miss Lacey to go to children's church. Let us stand out of reverence for God's word as we read the gospel of Mark. Now, after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the gospel of God and saying, The time is fulfilled, and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. Passing alongside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and Andrew, the brother of Simon, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And Jesus said to them, Follow me, and I will make you become fishers of men. And immediately they left their nets and followed him. And going on a little farther, he saw James the son of Zebedee and John his brother, who were in their boat mending the nets. And immediately he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired servants and followed him. You may be seated. So one of the shows that my family likes to collectively watch together is features Bear Grylls. I don't know if you've seen the show, but he takes celebrities and he goes out into the wilderness of various forms and takes them through an unbelievable adventure. And the show is fascinating because of what they are able to do that they think that otherwise they would not be able to accomplish. You see people climbing mountains and jumping off of cliffs into the water. And the thing I believe the show is most known for are the gross things that they have to eat in order to survive. And some of them make you just want to turn the TV off or look the other way. My son and I get a big kick out of... Um, that time when, it's, when they need to eat those, those type things. It, there, was, there was one particular show that featured a celebrity, um, some of you may know, Nick Jonas. And they're in an Arctic situation. And they come to this frozen lake and the ice is cracked open. And Bear looks at him and says, to get to the other, in order to survive, in order to fulfill this challenge, if you will, we have to jump into the water and swim to the other side. Now, I will tell you, after last week with the snow and the ice and the cold temperatures, it brought a whole new perspective to me regarding that challenge. And as they're taking off their clothes because they're going to seal their clothes in plastic so they'll be dry when they get to the other side. He looks at this celebrity and he says, oh, and by the way, 
We have three minutes to get to the other side before we die. Our body will lock up, our muscles will lock up due to hypothermia and we'll drown. Now, look, we know that it's a celebrity and Bear Grylls is not going to let him die because he would be sued. So I'm sure that there are multiple polar lifeguards standing by ready to, to, to pluck him out of the frozen abyss so that teenage girls around America don't pass out at the news that he is drowned. But still, he wants to do it because he doesn't want him to be embarrassed. He wants to prove that he has what it takes to hang with Bear grills, that he can rise to the challenge. And so he jumps in. And what you see time and time again in this show, whether it's Shaquille O'Neal trying to come down the side of the mountain or it's Drew Brees trying to kill an alligator, that there is a high cost to following Bear Grylls. This is not easy. You're going to have to jump out of a helicopter more than likely. You're going to have to do something extraordinarily difficult. So when we come to Mark this morning, when we, when we engage our passage, when we walk through these verses, one of the things that I want you to remember is there is a high cost to following Jesus. It's not easy. Let's pray. Our Father and our God, we thank you that you come to us in your word and you offer encouragement and you offer hope and you offer new life. Father, your grace is so amazing. The promises that you make to your people are so amazing. You have done so much for us. We glorify you and we honor you. Lord, as we wrestle with your word this morning, may it, may it encourage our souls. May it strengthen our hearts. May we leave this place this morning with a greater desire and passion for your kingdom. It's in the sake, it's for the sake of Christ, and in his name we pray. Amen. There, there are three things we're going to look at this morning. I'm going to tell you what they are ahead of time, and then we'll dive into each one. First of all, what is the kingdom of God? Very straightforward. What is the kingdom of God? Number two, Jesus is calling on our life. And number three, what does it mean to be emissaries of the kingdom of God? So let's look at the first one. What is the kingdom of God? Uh, several people have asked me over the years, what was, what was the most fascinating thing that you learned in seminary? Two things. One was the, the minor prophets. Those are the books at the end of the Old Testament that are on some level hard to read and hard to understand. Th that was fascinating. Probably because I didn't know a lot about it on, on one hand. But secondly, the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God. I am in seminary, and I do not know the difference between the kingdom of God, the church, and heaven. So in some sense, I think they're all three the same. And I was very surprised to learn the difference. I was very surprised to understand and learn what is the kingdom of God. So... Let me give you a definition. This is 
not Hunter Brewer's definition. This is a composite of different things that different theologians have said. But here it is. The kingdom of God is the complete reign and rule of God over everything and everyone. The complete reign and rule of God over everything and everyone. Now remember in verse 15, it says, The time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. Jesus has come out of the baptismal waters. He has come out of the river. He's leading his people on a new exodus. And he goes into Galilee and he begins to preach that the kingdom of God is at hand. Now, let's use our definition. Jesus is in Galilee. He's, he's proclaiming this great news. He's saying the time is fulfilled the complete reign and rule of God over everything and everyone is at hand. It's here. And so we look at that and we hear it. And we think about the ministry of Jesus and His death and His resurrection and His ascension. And in our mind we're wrestling with the definition. And then inevitably we ask, wait a second... Hold up. The reign and rule of God over everything and everyone is not here. It's not. How, how do we know this? Well, just this morning in our prayer time before the service, I heard of two just very difficult and challenging things that is just a result of living in a fallen and cursed world. I mean, yesterday I turned on the news and within five minutes I couldn't take it any longer because it was story after story of man's sinfulness. So how can the kingdom of God be here when there's so much trouble and difficulty and strife and agony and misery? And so the answer is theological, biblical. I'm going to give you a term that you can take to work tomorrow and use and impress your friends. Inaugurated eschatology. Feel free to use that one. Inaugurated eschatology. Now I'll give you the layman's definition of what that means. The already, not yet. Some of you may have heard that before. The already, not yet. That simply means that the kingdom of God has come, but it is not here in all its fullness. The already, not yet. Here's an example. 15-year-old gets their driving permit. They can drive at certain times during the day, but are they free to roam the roads on their own, legally, in their car? No. It's the already, they're driving, not yet, legally, fully, freedom. The already, not yet. In other words, because of the arrival of Jesus, because He is our King, because He is the King of the kingdom, He has planted the reign and rule 
of God. It has started, it has been kicked off, but the game is not finished. And so we live in this time period in where we feel the frustrations of the reality. It's here, but it hasn't come fully. And so as those who belong to Christ, as believers in Jesus Christ, we have been given the Holy Spirit. This is a blessing of the new covenant in Christ. This is a blessing of the kingdom. We have forgiveness of sins. We have the promise of resurrection. We have the guarantee of resurrection. We have resurrection of we have resurrection life. We have the promise of the presence of Christ when we gather together for worship. A presence that we can't fully understand, but God's word says that he is here. These are all blessings of kingdom life. God loves me. God forgives me. God accepts me. God has adopted me. I am being brought home. That this all comes to me because of Jesus and his kingdom and because of what the Father has promised, but only in part. Because we still sin, and we still struggle with sin, and creation still groans, and the world is still affected by the curse. We still have to experience the agony and frustration and sadness of burying our loved ones. We live in this in-between time. So many of you know that during the storm, Grace Community, PCA, that their sprinkler system went off. And it went off throughout the entirety of the church. And then it froze. And it did significant and unbelievable damage to the church. And so last week, I'm driving by the church and I look in the parking lot and it is filled with trucks and an 18-wheeler, and equipment of a restoration company. And I could not believe all that it was going to take, all that they were doing to try to restore that church. Vicki and I have experienced two floods in our marriage, and the amount of equipment they used to help us was nothing compared to what they were using at Grace Community. And what is their end goal? When they are finished, they want to restore the church to like it was before the flood. But if you've ever been through a flood, you know that no matter how hard they work, no, no matter the amount of equipment they use, that they will do a good job. But it won't be perfect and it won't be exactly like it was before the flood. And so what God is telling us in the coming of the kingdom is He has started the process not of restoration. God's not going to restore things to the way things were before the fall. God is entering into a phase of recreation. The coming of the kingdom is the realization of a promise fulfilled that our God is going to turn everything upside down. That He is going to renew and recreate all things, the heavens and the earth. So in the coming of the kingdom, the process has begun whereby God is turning everything upside down. God is doing an unbelievable work. God is going to recreate all things for His glory. 
That's what the kingdom of God is. Secondly, what does it mean to be a citizen of the kingdom of God? In other words, what is Jesus' calling on our life as king of the kingdom? Some of you might be NASCAR fans, and you're probably familiar with the adage that Dale Earnhardt once said, that second is the first loser. I'll hear that again. Second is just simply the first loser. And, you know, that's a, that's a sports statement. It's all about winning. Athletes probably use that phrase a good bit. But here's the thing that we need to understand as citizens of the kingdom of God. That second is everything. Being second is absolutely everything because it means that we have submitted our lives to Jesus who is what? He's first. Being a kingdom citizen means that we completely give up our agendas. Being second means that with the help of the Holy Spirit, we reorient our souls to Christ and His Word. Being a kingdom citizen means that we are daily dying to self and living for our King. Hear this. A kingdom citizen has no desire to wear the crown because Jesus has worn the crown of thorns. A kingdom citizen has no desire whatsoever to wear the crown because Jesus has worn the crown of thorns. The Son of God has come. He's come to establish His kingdom. He has gone to Galilee and He has announced the good news that the kingdom of God that the Jewish people had been waiting for for so long was finally at hand. And then He goes and He calls Andrew and Peter and James and John to be His disciples. Come and be kingdom citizens. Come be a part of the kingdom of God. And so they leave everything, their business, their family business, their family, they leave everything and they follow King Jesus. They have kingdom hearts. Now that's, that's difficult for us to interpret. Wait a second. When we rightly understand who Jesus is and we know what He has done for us and we become kingdom citizens, does this mean that we are to leave everything, to change everything, to do radical things in order to follow Christ? And what I would say is in this passage, we're dealing with something that's very special to the story of redemption. Remember, again, Jesus has come out of the waters. He is leading His people on a new exodus. He is the one true Israelite who can obey the covenant perfectly. He is rebuilding Israel around Himself. And so when He comes to Peter, James, John, and Andrew, He's saying, come be a part of this thing this 
this unbelievable and amazing thing that I'm doing is I reconstitute Israel around myself. And so there will ultimately be 12 apostles like there are 12 tribes of Israel. Jesus is sending a message to Jerusalem and to the corruption that exists in Jerusalem that I represent the true coming of the kingdom of God and my Father's desire and wishes to bring change to everything and everyone. Recreation. And it begins with me. And so the the apostles, the disciples in this passage, they're being called to do something very special, very important. So so what do we do with this? Like, how do we see this passage? How, How do we understand it in light of our families and our vocations and where we live and so forth. And I think there's a few things that you can understand from this. Number one, a kingdom citizen understands that everything belongs to God. A kingdom citizen understands that everything belongs to God. There's nothing that you have that you should not be able to turn over to Him. Nothing. There should be an openness in your heart to give away at a moment's notice, for the sake of King Jesus. Everything belongs to Him. Secondly, a kingdom citizen seeks to understand the will of God through the Word of God. See, this was Jesus speaking. This is the Word of God speaking. And the disciples immediately understood the significance of what He was asking Him to do. It's hard to be a citizen of the kingdom when you're not listening to Jesus. It's hard to know what the Lord is calling you to do or what the Lord is asking you to do when you are apart from His Word. So a kingdom citizen spends time in the Word of God. A kingdom citizen opens his or her heart and life before the Word of God. And we ask Jesus to speak through the Word and to challenge us and to lead us and to guide us and to mold us and shape us. A kingdom citizen desires to serve God. And we see the apostles leaving the family business. We see them leaving everything behind in order to help Jesus accomplish His mission. And so, if we belong to Jesus and He is our King, not only should we realize everything belongs to Him, not only should we be attentive to His Word and understanding our own lives, but we should seek to serve Him. How can I serve you, Lord? Because you are my King and you are my Savior. This is not a casual thing. Jesus is asking for a commitment from His people that He has given His life for. And here's the thing. When you understand all of that, sometimes it does call for difficult decisions. Sometimes you have to look at your life and say, is this really what the Lord has intended for me? Is this what He's calling me to do? How can I better serve Him? How can I show Him that I belong to Him truly? So when we think about the passage of the disciples leaving to follow Jesus, it does call for us to ask some really challenging questions in our own heart and soul as kingdom citizens who belong to King Jesus. 
So there, there is a high cost to following Him. It's not easy. It's not easy at all. You know, when I was in seminary, we had a lot of international students. And I would listen to their stories and I would think, goodness, it's nothing like that here. It's so easy compared to there. And on some level, that's true. But the reality is for us in this place, it's still difficult. There is a cost to following after Jesus. A cost that the world doesn't understand. The world doesn't even understand Jesus to begin with. Let alone you following Him. But here's, here's the great news. There is a high cost. But Jesus has paid it all. Think about that. There is a high cost, but Jesus has paid it all. And it makes it possible for us. And when we think on the cross, when we think on His life and His ministry and the empty tomb, when we dwell on these things and we realize all that He has done for us, it enables us to go through the fires or to jump into the frozen waters when we understand what Jesus has done. Those who belong to the kingdom of God, we rely on His grace. We rely on His word. We rely on His love, His forgiveness, and the ministry of the Holy Spirit belongs to us. And this is all because of what He has done for us and it enables to do incredible things despite the challenges. So what is the kingdom of God? What does it mean to live in the kingdom of God? And finally, what are kingdom emissaries? What are kingdom emissaries? So in this passage, we see that Jesus comes to them and he says, follow me. And then he says to them, I will make you fishers of men. Now, some scholars argue that Jesus knew them ahead of time and so they were aware of who Jesus was and they were aware of what it was that he was wanting to do, that they understood some of his teachings. And so when he comes to them, it's that moment when the Holy Spirit convicts them and they jump on board and we're going to do something great for the kingdom. But other scholars argue that this perhaps was the first time they had met and it was just an unbelievable thing that happened all at once. And Jesus challenges them to become fishers of men. I am perhaps the worst fisherman that exists on planet Earth. Yeah, you, thank you, son. I am terrible. And I am not, I have to have, the only success I've ever had fishing was with a guide. Um, I do enjoy fishing um, offshore, and, but I have to have a guide, and I have to have help, and I have to have instruction. Otherwise, I'm, I'm terrible. And some of you may be good at fishing, some of you may be terrible like me, but one thing I think when I mention the word fishing that we all think is a hobby. Something you do on Saturday. 
um, your tackle box. Maybe I can catch one bass. Um, we tend to think in those terms. But when we look at the passage and we look at the calling of Peter and Andrew and James and John, you have to realize that this was not a hobby to them. This was their profession. And so when Jesus is calling them to do something, we think in terms of a hobby. Oh, great. Evangelism. I can do that every now and then. I can share my faith perhaps once every 10 years about the rate at which I catch a fish. But that's not the context of this passage. These were men who every day but the Sabbath were in the grind and struggle of casting nets and catching fish. Their livelihoods depended upon it. And that's what Jesus is saying in terms of telling others about the coming of the kingdom of God. This is not a hobby. This is not something that we do every now and then. This is not an occasional thing. Jesus is saying, the kingdom is here. And when the kingdom is announced, it does two things. On one hand, to those who believe, it brings comfort and it brings joy and it brings peace and it brings reconciliation. But also when you announce the coming of the kingdom, it does something else. That if you stand outside of it, you're what? You're doomed. And when we look at the Old Testament, the metaphors of hunting and fishing are often used, and they're not used as a hobby. They're used as a metaphor for judgment. That if you stand outside the kingdom of God, you're in trouble. And so Jesus comes along and He calls the disciples and He's telling them that they're going to be fishers of men and He's communicating to them and saying to them, the kingdom has now arrived. This is a big deal because those who stand outside the kingdom have no hope whatsoever. And that's not a comfortable message in our society today. You don't hear a lot of people saying that. Hey, if you're outside the kingdom, you have no hope. Here's what our society says. Hey, look, you just find your own path. You just, you just find your own path. You do what feels right. You'll be okay. What does Jesus say? Jesus says, no, unequivocally, no. I am the way, the truth, and the life. Hear this. No one comes to the Father except through me. And now he's telling his disciples, my kingdom has come, I am the way. We have to bring people into the kingdom because apart from it they are doomed. Again, that's a really uncomfortable thing to say. It really is. But the flip side is this. For those who come into the kingdom through King Jesus, He invites them to His banquet table and they feast with Him forever. That's what He offers. And He's calling the disciples to come, to come help Him proclaim this unbelievable great news 
of the kingdom. And so what does this mean for us? What do we do? Again, do we leave everything behind in order to become evangelists for the kingdom of God? Well, certainly God does call some people to do that. But in most cases, God is calling you where you are to glorify Him and speak of His goodness and His grace. So there's, I think, three things that we can focus on as kingdom emissaries, as those called by Jesus to proclaim the good news of His kingdom. Three things. Number one, we pray for opportunities to engage those who stand outside the kingdom of God. That we are regularly praying our Father in heaven for the opportunity because He is sovereign over all things. We pray to Him for the opportunity to be able to share our faith to others. Secondly, we graciously, winsomely, and purposefully share the good news of the kingdom. That when those opportunities do arise, that we Tell others about how wonderful and loving and gracious and forgiving and merciful Jesus is. How He has turned our life upside down for good. How He washes us of our hypocrisy. How He deals with our sin. How He has given food to a beggar. How He is making us whole. We're not perfect because we live in the already not yet. But He is making us whole. And then thirdly, as kingdom citizens, we humbly live in obedience to God before a watching world. We humbly live in obedience to God before a watching world. We don't know and we should never underestimate what the Holy Spirit can do through a consistent faithful witness. We pray for those opportunities. When those opportunities arise, Lord willing, we will share our faith. We seek to develop relationships with people who may not know King Jesus in order to help them see through the work of the Holy Spirit His irresistible grace. But in the meantime, we live faithful lives. We just live faithful, consistent lives as forgiven, redeemed sinners because we don't know who's watching and we don't know what effect our lives may have on other people people, we don't know what the Holy Spirit is doing. We are God's emissaries of truth and grace and love and hope because we belong to King Jesus and we are citizens of the kingdom of God. And that is a privilege and a responsibility. So there was a little boy in the first grade And his grandfather thought that it would be a good idea to give him a hundred dollar and one dollar bills. And so he got him a shoebox and he filled the shoebox with those one hundred dollar bills, excuse me, those one dollar bills equaling a hundred, gave it to him for his birthday. And you know how children are often when they are in the first grade. They don't know the difference between a hundred dollars and a thousand dollars and a million dollars. And so this little boy kept telling his mother and his father that his grandfather gave him a million dollars. 
And so one day the father goes into his bedroom and he sees the shoebox on his bed and he wants to put it back up on the shelf. And when he picks it up, he realizes it's not heavy at all. What's going on? So he looks inside the shoebox and all the money's gone. When the boy comes home from school that day, he goes, Son, what did you buy with the money that your grandfather gave you for your birthday? And he looks at him with excitement and joy and happiness. And he said, Dad, I couldn't, I just couldn't keep it to myself. Having a million dollars is the greatest thing ever. So I took my millions, or I took my million dollars to school and I gave it away to all my friends because I wanted them to know the joy and happiness when you have that much money. And what did the dad do? You can't scold a child for that. What a what an unbelievable giving spirit. How great is that? And so we're like that little boy. We've been given a million dollars worth of grace and love. And what should our reaction be? I've got to give it away. I can't keep all of this for myself. I have to give it away. Trinity, hear this this morning. Our shoeboxes should be empty. And our hearts should overflow with the good news that the kingdom of God has arrived. Let's pray. Our Father, our God, our King, the one who fills our shoeboxes with immeasurable joy and irresistible grace and divine love and unending forgiveness. You deserve all the praise and all the glory. You have been so good to us. Father, as kingdom citizens, may we, may we walk in a way that is pleasing to You, understanding the high cost of belonging to Your Son, but understanding fully the price that He has paid. Father, help us to be emissaries of your kingdom. Let us speak often about the joy that comes with being in your family and belonging to Christ. It's in his name and for his sake we pray. Amen.